We get to a part of worship right now where I have a real serious question I have for a long time is how we consider this part worship at all. You think about what you've done already and you think about what worship is and you have to ask yourself this, how is this, what we're about to do right now, actually worship? Uh, think about the definition of worship. Here it is on the screen. And you guys know this is true. Actions that we do to give honor and praise to God for what he's already done. And you could tell it's an action we're taking. And it's hard to believe that because you're just sitting in a pew. And you might, you might fool yourself if I'm just sitting in a pew, I'm not really doing anything, right? And a lot of people even struggle, especially men, struggle with coming to worship because we're not doing anything. And yet, yes, you are. And in fact, if you're not doing anything, it's not worship. You're supposed to be active in giving honor and praise to God for what he's already done. Here's the second word I put in there. It's a response of gratitude. And so these are the definitions of worship. But now here's the weird thing. See, and this is why it's a worthy of, of, a, of, of us addressing this question. Uh, it's a little self-promoting, honestly. I'm giving you a reason why I think my occupation's important, right? That's what I'm, here's why you should continue paying me, church. That's really what I'm saying, right? because it's still worship. That's not what I mean, really, but it's fundamental. It's really important, and I want you to grapple with it because it's a serious question. What you're doing this morning is we're supposed to be giving God praise for what he's done, and yet, how are you doing that with this? The first thing I can think of, okay, we give, right? We talk about our offering, right? Everybody remembers this is one of the five acts of worship. You make money with time on your job, right? And you make money, you get paid for it. And then you bring some of that money, or I don't know if you bring it anymore, maybe you send it electronically, but either way, you some of that back to God in response. Is that not what you're doing in the offering? Makes total sense. That, that meets the definition of worship, doesn't it? You're offering God something that he's blessed you with. That's one thing. Okay, then you got singing. Hebrews calls it a sacrifice of praise from your lips. You are engaging your mind and thinking about all the reasons why God deserves your praise, and then you put it in words, and you blend it in song with everybody else here as one voice to God. That makes total sense. That's worship. That's obviously worship, by the way. I'm a little bit perplexed by so many in here who sit through the entire singing service and never sing. I'm not getting on to you. Yeah, I'm getting on to you. You know, what are you doing? Why are you wasting this opportunity? In fact, we're stressing this a lot. Wednesday night classes, uh, right in, for the last three or four weeks, we've got one more to go. We're really singing new songs. I love the one he did this morning, and it just gives a fresh words. After singing the same words, y'all, and the same songs for 50 years, sometimes I need a new song. Sometimes I need new words. And sometimes our young people need new words. And let's bless them by learning some new words and taking some new thoughts and new ways so that your worship can be ever fresh, that it's not 1950 all over again. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with 1950. Gary loved it. But I'm just saying, right? But the singing, and one of the things we're doing, we're bringing Keith Lancaster will be here next Sunday leading singing. He's going to do a new song session Saturday morning. I really want to stress 9 to noon. Be here. Some new songs, some old songs, and that's the same way that the worship is going to be. But we're going to have extra energy. He said, please make the sermon shorter, and all the elders said amen. And so we're going to do that, right? 
And those of you who are song leaders, be here on Friday night if you can. Young people, college people, there's a special session for you on Friday night. I'm just saying next weekend is a time for us to put some jolt and energy back into our singing a little bit, right? Singing obviously is an act of worship. So is praying. Together, and you're supposed to be kind of wording along with the prayer leader, we are going into the presence of God and using actual conversation in our own language to say to God, we recognize your blessing of us and we give you thanks for it. Is that worship? Clearly it is. And even the Lord's Supper. By Jesus' request, we're gathering around his table together and we are remembering. Now we remember his death every day. Every Christian who prays does. But there's a special kind of remembering that God charges the table. He puts it in there that if you're not around the table, you're not remembering quite like God asked you to. This is obviously an act of worship, straight from a request, the final request of Jesus before his death. But here's where the question comes in. How does preaching fit this definition? I've worked all week to have a message to present to you. You're staring at me for... Maddie will tell you, 45 minutes, but that's not going to be true. But Maddie's timing it right now to see how much of her life is going to be invested, right? You're sitting in a pew staring at me, expecting me to say something to you. So I've prepared something to say to you. You're looking at me, expecting me to say it. How is that worship to God? You ever wondered that? I'm talking to you, you're listening to me, and yet we're calling that worship. How weird is that? How does that qualify like these other things as an act of praise to God for what he's done we're not it seems like a presentation to each other not to him we have to grapple with this some and that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes let's sing together Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Please turn to Acts 20. It's not going to be on the screen. Acts chapter 20. I pursued a, an answer to this question for a long time, and this week I decided I'm going to really grapple with it enough to present something. And here's what I'm going to say to you is, if someone gets up and tells some really compelling stories, that's not necessarily preaching. If somebody gets up, and that's not exactly worship either, and if someone gets up and just makes some good observations or makes some interesting points or makes you laugh or engages your mind a little, that's not necessarily preaching, and that's not necessarily worship. Those are just interesting things that you can say, but the, the fact is that you sit through something like that doesn't mean that you're worshiping either. There are two qualifications necessary, as I can see in the New Testament. Two qualifications necessary for this that we're doing right now to qualify as actual worship of God. You should be interested in this because that's what you came up the hill for. So here's the first qualification. It belongs to the preacher. It belongs to me. The proclamation that is made must be rooted in and flow out of the Word of God in Scripture. If it is not, 
consistent and obviously from the Word of God as we have it in our hands. It is not preaching and this is not worship. That's just kind of what the the text seems to to say to me. And it irritates me when people who present something as, as preaching and it has no word in it, capital W, it doesn't have the word in it. It just, Melissa will tell you, it, this is the one thing the family would always talk about. We'd go to a youth rally or something with the young people, and I'd come back and we'd quiz them, okay, what'd you get out of that? What'd you think of the speaker? And it, they always had cool stories because at youth rallies, they always have cool stories. But here's what my kids learned to, to do. We evaluated by whether the word was in it or not. And I got to tell you, I went to a youth, some youth rally and heard some speakers with the word wasn't in it. They had some interesting, fun things to say. I've even heard this from, from this pulpit before, at, at, at back to school bash before. We had a guy who could really tell some stories, and we were in the aisles laughing, but there was no word in it. And when there's no word in it, it's not preaching and it's not worship because it has to have the word in it. It's sort of like this. I, I remember as a graduate of Fredertown High School, in our graduation, the preacher who had the prayer at the graduation went for about five minutes telling us how to live a, a, a successful life. It was the prayer, y'all. He was supposed to be talking to God, but he wasn't talking to God. He was saying, y'all need to be kind. Y'all need to be humble. And I looked up at him and I thought, you're telling God he needs to be kind and he needs to be humble? Don't preach at me in a prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Talk to him. Talk to him and lead us and talk. Don't talk to me. That's preaching from the word if you do that. If you go to a, a, a sermon, you go to a church to hear a person and they don't have a word from God, it's not preaching and that's not worship. It's only worship and preaching when the preacher has the word in it. I want you to hear Paul in Acts chapter 20. He, uh, we're going to join me at verse 17. Paul is in Miletus. He's close enough to Ephesus to call the Ephesian elders to himself. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He will never see them again. He spent three years with them. He loves the church. He knows how important the Ephesian church is. Not only is he meeting with the elders for this last time to give them a final word of charge about what they need to do, but later on he's going to send Timothy to be a preacher in Ephesus. He's concerned, y'all, about the Ephesian church. He calls the elders down to him. Join me in verse 17. From Miletus, he went to Ephesus. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And they came to him and said, You yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how I lived and I applied God's word and taught you from the scriptures how to live your life today faithful to scripture. All right. He says, I'm about to leave. I'm not going to see you again. Notice verse 25. I know that none among you uh, that will see my face again. You're not going to ever see me again. So he says, verse 26, Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
I took the words of God, every one of them, and I applied them to you, and I taught them to you, and I explained them to you, and I was, was able to, to make application to your life. I'm telling you, this is how it goes. This is how I did it. I took the words of God, and I put them into your life, both in my behavior and in my instruction. It's the word of God. Don't let anyone come in and change that. Later on, he sends Timothy through the Ephesians, and here's what he tells Timothy. This was read just a few moments ago. Very well, Granger, good job. And he said, all scripture. He says to Timothy, don't forsake that scripture that you had when you were a kid. Don't get so familiar that you don't think it has the power anymore. Don't change to some other source of instruction for our people. All scripture is God-breathed. You know what that means? When you're reading scripture, the breath of God should be warm on your neck. You should smell his breath, and you should know these are words God would say to you about any circumstance that confronts you in life. You want to know what God thinks about this? Consult the word. It is God-breathed. This is God speaking to you. It's profitable for you. This is where your teaching should come from. This is where correction should be made. This is where reproof comes from. This is how you're trained to be righteous so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Go to the scriptures, Timothy. Don't you leave the scriptures, Timothy. You present the scriptures, Timothy, to all the people in Ephesus. And if we're going to be people of God, thoroughly equipped for everything that confronts us, we better have the word in our lives. That's the only way you have it. Now, there is a chapter break in your Bible, but there wasn't in Paul's letter. The very next word is this, so I charge you. You know what that means? I'm admonishing you, I'm begging you, and I'm pleading with you, and I'm commanding you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready whether people want to hear it or not. That's what in season or out of season means. There are going to be times when people want to hear the word, and there's going to be some times when people don't want to hear the word. And at both times, you give them the word. Every time you speak the word, whether they want to hear it, whether it affirms them or not, makes them feel better or not, you preach the word to them. And notice, reprove, rebuke, and exhort the same words that tell you what scripture was for are used for his preaching. He is to use that word and let that word do its work by presenting it to God's people in application. Now notice, for the time is coming. I can't help but think that maybe he was thinking of our time. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They don't want to hear it. They don't like what it says. Yeah, we know what the Bible says. We don't want to do it, so don't preach to us anymore. And guess what the church needs to be preaching when the world hates the Word? Guess what we need to be preaching, church? The Word. And it's not going to get a good hearing, and they're not going to like it, but guess what we're to preach? If we are the church, and this is worship, and we are serving God and representing Him, we will preach only the Word. That's what makes preaching preaching. That's what makes it Worship. Instead, he says, in itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to say exactly what they want to hear. And people will wander off from the truth. And when we leave the word behind, it's no longer preaching and it's no longer truth 
and it's no longer able to keep us sound and faithful. If preaching is going to be worship, the preacher must preach the word, and that's all. Apply it to people's lives. Don't disembowel the power of preaching by taking the word out of it. If there's no word in it, it ain't preaching. And so it's grounded in the Word of God. And I've got I've to give you a couple. First of all, most of the preaching done here is expository. We take a passage and we read it and then we explain it and let that passage set the tone of the entire lesson. That's how you let the Word guide. Instead of, I want to say this, let me find a verse that lets me say this. Okay? Plus there's another thing. Some sermons are kind of entertaining. Some sermons are very flat. Now, you're not telling me anything I don't know when you walk out of the church and you say that was a little flat. I know it was flat. I kind of wrestled with this, and I thought, I want a really relevant application. I want a great illustration that makes it pop, and sometimes I can't find one. And, to be, I, and I'm tempted, listen, I'm tempted to always be entertaining and hot-button topic person and always be something to make you laugh or be engaged, but... If I have to sacrifice either the illustration and the relevance or the word, I will always sacrifice the illustration and the relevance. I will never leave out the word. That's the only thing that gives it its power to be worship and God's saving power in it. And so sometimes it's a flat sermon and I know it. You won't offend me if you say it. It's just kind of hard sometimes to come up with an application that feels relevant to you. But the word's always going to be there. That source being the word of God in what's presented is only half of the equation. That's a responsibility of mine. But you have a responsibility. As you're looking at me saying, tell us something relevant, preacher. Tell us something interesting, preacher. Tell us something that applies to our life, preacher. I'm looking at you. Yeah, every one of you. I'm looking at Risa right now and Allie Coates right now. I'm looking at Mike Poppleton. Looking at Ayla right now. And I'm looking at you as you're looking at me. You're saying, say something to me. And I'm saying, you need to do something too. You've got an obligation. That's what makes this worship. The fact that this is a word-based message doesn't mean it's worship for you because you've got a qualification. Here's, this, here's the second qualification, and it's yours. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. The only time an actual New Testament worship service is described is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Very interesting. But he says, you have two or three prophets. They're going to speak a message from God to you. Let them speak one at a time and let the others weigh what is said. Now that's your job. This is your task this morning. When you come in here, this is what you're engaged in. Don't think that your job is to just evaluate whether the preacher was good or not as if you're a spectator. You are not a spectator. You are a participant in this. That's what makes this worship. And your job is to weigh. Now, what does that mean? Weigh means to interpret, to discern, to evaluate carefully. You, for one thing, like the Bereans, you're saying, is this really in line with the truth? Is that verse, what he just read, really what it says? And is this application he's making really relevant to this? If this is this, you think, you got to be thinking. But the second thing you're doing is this. I, I, 
picture it like you found an outfit or uh, outfit that you really like. It's on a mannequin in some store, JCPenney or Dillard's, wherever you shop. And you go and you, and you think, oh, that looks good. That would look great on me. It, well, it may or it may not, right? First of all, you got to ask, do they have your size? And you go looking, and if they have your size, you go, I think that would really look good on me. you got one other thing to do. You take it into the dressing room and you try it on. This morning, you are to be spiritually, mentally engaged to try on the application being presented to you. If I take this seriously, I see a connection with the Word. It's the Word of God. It's applied correctly. I look at my life and I say, if I take this seriously, if I really want to honor God's Word that's back behind this, and I want to apply it to my life, I want to try it on. I want to try it on mentally. How is my life going to change, or what changes can I make that would make me more honorable to God by listening to this? That's what you're doing. Even right now, it's called weighing. College students, you are supposed to be weighing right now. You should, wear, you should bring scales every Sunday morning. I'm weighing this. Don't, but I mean, that would be an interesting application. At least you're supposed to be weighing this. You weigh it. Is this true? If I take this seriously, what will my life look like? And you put that into words. Now I'm going to read you a passage, just a short one here for a second. And, and we're, it's interesting to me how this applies both to me and to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yet among the mature we do, not impart, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person? We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things of God freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Do you understand the implication of this? When you come up the hill and enter here, you hear spiritual wisdom applied to your life. Completely out of step with the natural world you left. The thoughts that you hear and hear, you're not going to hear on the radio. You're not going to hear normally in the flow of life. The stuff you hear is out of step, it, and the world will look at us and say, that's old-fashioned. That's not how, how we think. We don't, we don't live that way. I know you don't. And what he says is, natural persons don't listen to this. Only spiritual people do. You are spiritual people, and you come here saying, I need a spiritual word from God to offset the natural messages we hear in the world. And you come up here to hear it, and it's going to be out of step. It's going to be different. And the natural person doesn't want to listen to it. I think what this explains is a lot of things. It's why our messages are different from anything else in the world. It also explains why it's hard sometimes to accept what you hear. We are being trained and groomed to follow the natural man in the world that we live in. We're trained that every day in the media and all the things that we watch. They're training us, y'all. They're preaching at us natural messages called humanitarianism, right? Humanism. You come here and you hear spiritualism. You hear the things of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. That's what you hear. They are out of step with each other, and you're going to hear stuff here that you should not hear anywhere else, and it's going to sound out of sync. Naturally, it is. 
It also explains why some people can't decide this is what they want to hear. You know those people that we've been begging to come to church? And they'll come for a while and they'll drop out and they'll come for a while and they'll drop out or they'll come here and they'll, you know why that is? They haven't decided to be spiritual people. And so church doesn't have that value. It will never have the normal value that it has for a spiritually minded person who says, I've got to get up there. I've got to meet with the church. I've got to assemble. I've got to hear the meat of the word. I've got to keep my mind in a spiritual mindset. And so I'm going to hear spiritual things and I need it. I'm not going to argue about whether I should have to come on Wednesday night or not. It's because I need it. And meanwhile, that other person's just struggling for years and years, and we're trying to get them to be regular at church, and they just can't seem to. I think that's the single explanation for this. What happens if this connection is made? What happens if the word is preached and you weigh it? Next screen. When these qualifications are met, these are from 1 Corinthians 14. The one who prophesies speaks to the people, and guess what, what happens to them for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. If you are here for God and you hear his words and you weigh them carefully and you take them seriously, you will be built up, you will be encouraged, you will be comforted. When somebody says, what'd you get out of the service if you came here for God? and you came here and made this a worship time, even in the sermon time, the preaching time, then you will be upbuilt, you will be encouraged, you will be consoled or comforted. That's what Paul says. Next one. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The church is built up when the word is preached and they weigh it. It's just the way it is. And if they're not, it's not because the preaching wasn't done right. They didn't weigh it. Next screen. But if all prophesy an unbeliever, an outsider enters, is convicted by all that is said, he's called to account by it. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God. It becomes worship as you hear the word and you weigh it and you let it have its way in your life. It becomes worship for you. And it does its magic then. I can't say magic. That's wrong. God does his work through his spirit. Next one. If you all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, you can learn something, you can be encouraged by it. These are all the results that happen when the word is preached properly and when it's weighed properly by the hearer. Is preaching worship? It depends. It depends on two things. Was it the word of God that set the agenda for the message? Proclaimed and applied? And did you weigh it? Did you weigh it? For God, his word is himself. As you honor his word, you're honoring him. And when you gather here, when you come up at the top of this hill on Sunday morning, first day of the week, you gather around this hill, and you gather around this place, and you say, preach the word to us. 
preach the word, sing the word, pray the word, all the, the word is honored, and you hear God's words, and you are intending to honor them and submit to them and uh, to honor God by obeying them, you are delighting your Father, which is why this is worship. It becomes worship when you weigh the words and decide you're going to honor them in your life. And you make this plan that when I get to the bottom of this hill, back to my life, this is going to make a difference, and I'm going to apply it. So preaching, like every other part of our worship service, can be worship, depending on you. So let me make this promise. When you come to Valley View, when it comes to preaching time, I will promise this message will be from Scripture. And if it isn't, the elders should fire the preacher. And you should hold them accountable. You should accept nothing less than Bible preaching. Don't be content with stories and insights that are interesting or from some latest bestseller book. As for what you do with it after that, I promise it'll be here if you come up the hill. Bible-based preaching, but what you do with it only you can answer. Weigh it carefully. And if you do, it becomes this powerful part of our worship. God is pleased. He will be glorified you, uh, in you. You will honor him. And it's only reasonable and acceptable that you do so. So this morning, it's been preached. It's been preached straight from this, what, what we're to do, what is to be honored. And, and God gives instruction. And every time he does, he gives instruction on what you do with it. And this morning, here's the thing. If you are a Bible believer, you want to gather around that word and hear what it says. This morning, I want you to hear it clearly. If there's anything in your life that's not aligned with Scripture, it needs to be repented of. It needs to be changed and altered, and you need to make efforts constantly. That doesn't require ever coming forward, but sometimes, sometimes people want to. And so this morning, I'm going to make available to you, if your life is out of line with the Word of God, you need to put back into alignment through repentance. And if there's anyone who's never met Christ in the waters of baptism, never had your sins forgiven, never had new birth, this morning we have an opportunity for new birth to come and say the name of Jesus as Lord of your life from your lips. Repent of your sins, be immersed in the waters and have your sins washed away and rise to walk a new life. Those are the words of God. Those are the things God asks us to do. And this morning you have another opportunity to weigh them and decide what you need to do in light of them. And if there is a, an action that you need to take that requires a public response, now's the time to make it as we stand and as we sing.